Good morning. Well, sadly, and really it was kind of shocking, um, Alondrina Madden went to be with Jesus yesterday. She, uh, 30 days after she was feeling sick, about 30 days ago, went into the hospital and she was riddled with cancer. So in, th- in 30 days, she is now with the Lord. They have, her and Dustin have five children. Sawyer, from 14 to five years old. So 14, Sawyer, Parker, Charlie, Georgia, and Jack. So I want to pray for them. I'm going to read the passage, and then I want to pray with them this morning, include them in there. But if you would be praying for them, particularly, well, all of them, really. But Dustin, obviously, just lost his wife, the mom of his kids. He's got these kids. A lot of family in the area. A lot of family come here. So uh, just keep them in your prayers, okay? So would you stand, and I'm going to read just, we're going to be in Matthew 25 this morning as our final study in when will these things be? Looking at being ready for Jesus' return as Jesus in Matthew, following the same account, he goes into these couple parables, and I want to look at those this morning with you. So in Matthew, if you go to Matthew 25 and, and keep it open as we go through the, the study this morning, but I'm going to read verse 1 and then a couple of the verses just to give a feel for the sections in Matthew 25. But in Mark 13, as he was on the Mount of Olives uh, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things be? And so Jesus went in Mark 13 into these uh, studies that we did on his uh, becoming of Jesus, the tribulation, all that. We've looked at some of that. Not in depth, because to do in depth would take us the rest of our lives here. Um, and uh, we certainly wouldn't mind taking the time for that, but we're in Mark 13. Next one's 14, so we'll be coming out of it. Anyway, all right. here. <laughs> okay, so the main thing is Jesus said, take heed, watch, and pray. So these studies, and particularly this morning, are warnings to us to take heed, to watch, and to pray. That's how important it is, that's how serious it is, and that's how real it is. These things will be happening. We're seeing the beginning birth pangs already in our day today. So in Matthew 25, verse 1, then, this is coming out of the same kind of discourse, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to, so it's a parable, ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is like, again a parable, a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each one according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. And then in verses 31 through 33, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, so this is looking at something historical that's coming, prophetic, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. I can't wait. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say, and we'll look at that this morning. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're asking you to give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Pray you'd help me, Lord, to communicate your heart to your people through your word this morning. We know that faith comes by hearing. We know that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Please, Lord, Help me. Help me to communicate these things. Help me to take the things that you've given to me and impart them to us in listening and hearing. And then, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, may your word find good ground, good soil 
Grant us, Lord, as need be correction, rebuke, instruction, guidance. Please, we're thankful for your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So when will these things be? In Matthew chapter 25, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to. So parables, Jesus spoke 40 plus parables, 13 of them directly illustrating the kingdom. Now, when Chuck Smith was in seminary, his professor told his students not to teach the parables until they had been teaching 30 years. When I first heard Pastor Chuck say that, he also said, I now qualify. But then he added, I will share with you where I am today, but that may change tomorrow, unquote. I too now qualify, and too may change tomorrow. So be merciful, be gracious, be gentle as we look at these things, these, these parables, two of many that really require a lot of time and thought by the Holy Spirit in interaction with others. Say, Lord, what are you saying? What does this mean? How do I apply these truths that you're illustrating. A parable uses illustrations from everyday life. It illuminates a truth. Generally, each parable makes a single point. It has one meaning. So there are not hidden messages behind every detail. There are not deep theological doctrines to be shaped from them. To build doctrines by tearing apart the parables is not wise. And I think this is really important to keep in mind when you read the parables. A parable is given to illuminate a question, a truth. For example, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus went on to say, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, which many of us know. So he's illustrating all these things with this whole story about this man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, the Samaritan came and helped him, all that. It's illustrating and answering this one question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, which of them do you think was neighbor to him? Go and do likewise. The point of the parable is to answer the question, to illustrate the question, who is my neighbor? So last week in Mark 13, Jesus, in watching for Jesus, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, not, nor the Son, but the, only the Father. We've looked at this and read this several times. So he said, take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. When will these things be? It is like a man, again, a parable. We looked at this last week. Going into a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. Jesus coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly, you, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. So the whole parable that Jesus gives there is of this picture of this man. So we consider Matthew 25. I would look at this as sort of a follow-up, a finale to our studies in Mark 13. Who then, verse 45, who then is a faithful, this is chapter 24 of Matthew, go back there, go back a couple verses, running start into chapter 25. I want you to notice he's using the same terms. Who, is, who then is faithful and wise and servant? 
who, again, his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. He's going to hit these same things in the parables. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant, we looked at that last week, evil means was good, became bad, became rotten, says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. Now, that's another key to the parables. There's this delay. There's an, there's an expectation it's not coming right away. And begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come in a, on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour when he is not aware. And will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's pretty tough language that he's giving here. So I, he's, he's elaborating on these, uh, the whole idea of faithful, faithfulness, being a servant, the master, the master going away, the master coming. And it's a warning again to take heed, watch and pray. So now, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And notice, those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. That's the picture. It's the picture of a Jewish marriage. The Jewish marriage took place in, in stages over several years. The legal marriage, when the couple was still very young, an engagement was arranged by the parents, sometimes with the help of a matchmaker. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Dun, 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 dun. Tradition. <laughs> yeah. So that's the legal marriage. Then there was the betrothal ceremony held at the bride's house. The couple exchanged vows and the groom gave the bride presents. This period lasted for a year or two. But the bride continued in those, those couple years to live with the parents. During this time, the bride was said to be betrothed or espoused to the young man. So Joseph was betrothed to Mary. We know that story. We're going to be celebrating that in this coming month. Then you have the traditional ceremony would take place. The bridegroom, accompanied by his friends, would proceed from his home to the home of the bride and claim her as his own. She would be wearing a thick veil. It usually happened at night. Then after that came the marriage feast. She and her friends would accompany the groom and his friends to his father's house or maybe a larger hall where the festivities would take place. A contract was signed. 
The bride and groom would spend time together. Then the bride would remain by herself for seven days. At the end of the week, the bride would return to the group, remove her veil so that everyone could see her. If the young woman had been, never been married, the feast would last seven days. If she had been widowed, it would last for three days. So the suggestion here is that the groom has already claimed his bride. Some would say the rapture. I would agree with that. There's going to be this time when the church is caught up to meet Jesus in the air and is now on his way back, back home for the marriage feast. Now that happens after, at the end of the second coming, the kingdom age. Now I want to note many similarities. In other words, these 10 virgins were all in the same group. They were all virgins. They all had lamps. They all took their lamp, lamps. They all were waiting for the bridegroom. They all slumbered and slept. They all arose and trimmed their lamps. They all had oil in their lamps, but not enough for five. So it's the same group, but there's one difference. They were, in reality, two different groups. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Those who were wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the same group, but two groups within the group, the wise and the foolish. Now, as far as taking oil in their vessels, surplus supplies of oil were carried in a small container attached to a belt worn around the waist. The five wise virgins, knowing the time of the bridegroom's arrival was uncertain, thoughtfully, provided additional supplies of oil. But the five foolish were thoughtless in even thinking to do the same. So notice verse 11, Matthew 25. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Note that. I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you no, neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So, number one, those who are ready are those whose faith is their own. Whose relationship with the bridegroom is reality. It's genuine. Their faith is their own, not another's. They're not looking to get help from someone else. So the question that arises is this. Is your faith in Jesus genuine? See, that's really important. Do you know Jesus as your bridegroom? Or is it fake? Is it a pretension? Is it pretending? Is it personal? Is it practical? which every relationship in a marriage is just that. It better be or won't never last. Personal and practical. In other words, are you the real deal with God? And I look out and I believe the ones that I know are. But it's a good question, important question that Jesus is bringing up here because I never knew you. Now that's serious stuff. To get locked out, to be held out of the festivities the marriage. 
You see, another's believer, another believer's relationship with God cannot be handed to you. Another believer's faith will do you no good unless your faith is the genuine, real deal with God and you know Jesus as your bridegroom. And you're looking for him to come. It must be your own. It's searching. I think it should be for every one of us a searching matter as far as my relationship with my bridegroom. Now, the urgency in these that, I'm, that we're reading is that the foolish never became wise. The foolish did not become wise. The wicked servant did not become a faithful servant. The cursed did not become blessed. It was too late. See, and that's really the urgency that Jesus is saying, you do not know. Now is the day. Now is the time. In Hebrews, it says, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. We don't get two shots at it. When it comes to death, all second chance theologies are false theologies. Purgatory, there is no such place to work off your sins. And if there was, you'd be there for eternity anyway. You cannot work off your sins before a holy, just God. No amount of prayers and no amount of gifts for the living can change the fate of the already dead. Reincarnation. I'm really glad this isn't true because I don't want to keep coming back as someone else. <laughs> so Jesus warned us about a profession of Lord, Lord with a, with a lifestyle that is contrary to him being Lord. Contrary to his lordship. And we are warned about this. We are exhorted about this. We are chastised over these kinds of things. Does my life line up with my profession? Now, I'm not avoiding the sanctification process of the Holy Spirit, which means the process of being made holy. God is at work in us to sanctify us and cleanse us and wash us. But we understand very clearly we need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. We need to confess our sins. And God is faithful just to forgive us. We understand that my relationship with God necessitates many runs to the cross. Many runs to repentance. In Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Notice, you who practice lawlessness. Nothing's changed. In Luke chapter 13, and he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will, enter to, will seek to enter and will not be able. But he will say to them, I tell you, 
I do not know you. So this whole thing, there's a narrow gate that leads to eternal life. There's a broad gate that leads to destruction. We believe that. We know that. And this is just a warning. Watch. Take heed. Watch. Pray. Know that your relationship with Jesus Christ, my relationship with Jesus Christ, necessitates a different kind of living. Something has changed. And you know what's changed? God's changed me from the inside out through his love and grace and mercy and patience and perseverance. In 2 Corinthians, do, not know, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is Paul writing. I believe Paul before I'm going to start believing these progressive theologians. And such were some of you. Yes, absolutely. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Yes, that's what happened. Paul had written to the Corinthians earlier and said, I do not write these things to shame, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Do you get these warnings throughout the Scriptures? Take heed. Watch and pray. By taking a class to become a member of a church, that does not make you a Christian. Hopefully, those classes would help you make sure you are a Christian. But many do not. They're numbers driven. They're financially driven. They're statistically driven. As someone said, sitting in church, no more makes you a Christian than sitting in the garage makes you a car. <laughs> the church in Revelation, Ephesus, repent or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The lampstand is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Thyatira, indeed I will cast you into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. Out of seven churches, five were rebuked, saying, repent. Sardis, hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you do not watch, interesting, take heed, watch and pray. If you do not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. These are the churches. Jesus, his lampstand, is, he's walking amidst the, the lampstand, the seven gold lampstand, which are the churches. And he's telling them the truth, and the truth will set you free. That doesn't mean the truth is easy to hear. It's not. But the truth is, God sent Jesus to die on a cross because there was no other way that a, a marriage ceremony could ever happen. And he died on that cross that my sins might be forgiven. And I might be cleansed. And I might have a whole different life through the Spirit of God and loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my life being changed radically to where from the inside out, I'm not the same. I'm changed radically. That's what the life of the Spirit is. And so to the church, it's good that Jesus would walk among us and say, here's the need that you need to repent of, the things. And he does that to the church in Revelation because he, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He said it to Laodicea. Therefore, be zealous and repent. May the Lord help us. Amen. Even this morning as we're going through, these are not easy verses, not easy passages, not easy truths. 
I said, Lord, would search me and know me, try me, know my, and see if there's any wicked, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Help me to take heed to you. Help me to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Help me to hear under what you're saying. In other words, submitting my life, submitting my mind, my heart, my emotions, all of it, saying, God, please work in me. Keep working. Do the things you need to do. Let me hear what you're saying to me. As far as the church, the things I read about, it's not perfect. And by the way, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it. You see the pictures and the parables that Jesus gives about the church. The parable of tares and wheat, that there's bad seed growing up alongside the good seed. Well, should we tear out the bad? No, no, don't tear it out. Just let it be at the end when the harvest comes, God will separate them. The parable of the mustard seed, which is a parable of abnormal growth. There's birds that, lo- that, that are in the, in the branches of this monstrosity of a mustard seed tree. Birds and parables are always evil. There's the parable of the leaven, where the woman le- uh, puts leaven. Now, there are different interpretations on this. I hold that there's parabolic constancy. What, one th- what it means in one, it means, it means in all the parables. So Jesus gave us understanding of some of that and told us what exactly the birds mean. What does leaven? Throughout the scriptures, leaven is a type of evil, sin. So he's talking about the church us, the gathering of God's people, that is far from perfect. It needs cleansing. It needs the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit among us to do his work. And so Jesus, in Revelation, he's talking to the churches. In his parables, he's talking to the churches. Peter, just my, my, my reading this morning, in 2 Peter, for when they, he's talking about, talking about false teachers in the church, when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, <laughs> isn't that a great, great swelling words of emptiness, <laughs> they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped, notice this is just so interesting, so much, take to heart, take heed. But after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they're again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. This is tough stuff. For if it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So the knowledge of the Son, do they know? That's the question. The knowledge, it's different to have knowledge and than it is to know. So he says in verse 22, but it happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. The pig is still the pig. The dog is still the dog. He's quoting from Proverbs 26, which says the great God who formed everything, gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. There's no change. A dog, as a dog returns his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. The warning there. Now, foundationally and unchangeably, For every soul ever saved, for anyone and everyone who has ever received so great a salvation, we are saved by grace through faith 
and only by grace through faith. Say amen, brother. We are not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done. We are saved by grace through faith, foundationally, unchangeably. So this is not saying, well, you better work harder so you can be saved. No, it's saying because you've been saved, what are your works adding up to? What are you doing with your life? How are you living your life? Is it the real deal with God? Are you born again by the Spirit of God? So no one is saved by works. No one is saved through their own righteousness. However, true faith is manifested by works of righteousness that are true. True to God. True to his truth. Whether that be his judgments or his salvation. True to his mercy. True to his grace. True to his love. True to bearing fruit. The real deal. Faith is our own. True to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. True to the principles of the kingdom of God lived out in this present evil age. True to the principles of the kingdom of God. True to, towards God's people of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. There's a truth that emanates from our lives because we know him who is the truth, is the way, and is the life. Being ready means your own, you have a, your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Being ready means you're growing in assurance of your salvation through Jesus Christ. Being ready means living your life by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You're ready. Being ready means praying your heart out and loving and seeking God with all your whole soul and your mind and your strength. Be ready means knowing your need for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're ready. Be ready means gaining a living testimony that overcomes the devil. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in my life. They overcame by the, word, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to death. Revelation. Being ready means living your life in a continued awareness that Jesus is coming. Being ready means preaching the gospel to every creature. Taking this treasure and earthen vessels out into the battlefield of this world with my gospel shoes on. It means making disciples of all nations. It means baptizing them and teaching them all the way up to the day that Jesus returns. That's where we're at. That's what we're doing. We're ready. The second parable, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Verse 15, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each one according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. So these talents, they were a weight actually, is a weight, a unit of weight, monetary unit. It might be gold, it might be silver, it might be copper. So depending on what weight you're weighing, what, what metal you're weighing, it's more valuable. So this whole thing, a talent, it was a lot of money, a lot of money, amount of money. 
This amount added up to the equivalent of 20 years of wages. 20 years of wages given. So they're entrusted with a considerable amount by their master. They each receive the potential for tremendous earning power. So they were the property of the owner. They, were, they had the potential to produce. They were personally suited, each one according to his own ability. And then they were personally entrusted. Immediately he went on a journey. The picture here is what we, the second thing we want to look at, those who are ready are those who are faithful with what they have received from the Lord. Those who are ready are those who are faithful with what they have received from the Lord. How diverse is that? Very. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Doubled his what he originally received. And likewise, he had received two, gained two more also. But he had received one, went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. So two servants did business with, what, with the Lord's talent. talents. One servant dug and buried his one talent. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them, verse 20. So he had received five talents, came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done. Now, we quote this all the time, and I believe we should. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Notice, you were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also, had, he who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, same thing, over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So the two did business. They came and brought the other talents. They doubled them. They gained more. They did business. They gained and were commended. They gained and were rewarded. That's the picture. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Now, at first glance, we might think this man was a smart guy. We'd think the same, maybe, because I'm not very talented in business, and I'm not. The truth is, this servant is making excuses for his unwillingness to do anything. The servant did not care to be bothered with the task assigned to him. He ex now, here's the two things. He excused, him he excused himself by blaming the Lord. It's subtle, but it's there. You made me afraid. I knew you to be a hard man. You're too demanding. You're not really fair. You're exploiting others. You're taking advantage of others, reaping where you have not sown. And just so you know, Jesus does nothing of the kind. 
So he excuses himself by blaming the Lord, but then he excuses himself by trying to appease the Lord. Look, you have what's yours. Aren't you happy? As though the Lord would be pleased with that. He's not. It's as though he did this for the Lord's sake. Nothing of the kind. The Lord's displeasure and rebuke was not in the fact that he did not gain, but rather for the reason he did not gain, making excuses to cover the real issue. His Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, but so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him, give it to him who has ten talents, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast. This is, this is tough stuff. And cast, notice, the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It sounds kind of harsh. Is the God who welcomes back the prodigal son going to punish someone for lack of initiative? Is the God who dines with sinners going to punish someone for lack of entrepreneurial skill? It may seem that God gives, one, gives with one hand and takes away with the other. Like Timothy, didn't he just fail because of timidity and fear? No. He was rebuked and condemned because he was a wicked and lazy servant. He was never the servant of the Lord. Wicked because you would blame the Lord. Lazy because you want to excuse yourself. Take heed. Take heed, brothers, sisters. God is never to blame. Though we are prone to excuses. So the one dug and buried, he came and said, gained nothing, rebuked, lost everything, was condemned. Those who are ready are those whose faith is their own. Those who are ready are those who are faithful with what they receive from the Lord. So my question, and we're going to take communion, which would be a good lead out of these. What have you received from the Lord? What resources has God put into your spheres of influence? What are your talents? What are those valuable things that God has placed in your life? What positions do you hold? What money do you manage? Now, take note, it's not what his or her talent is. Or what his or her resources are. It's I'm asking this palace, you, myself. What has God entrusted us with? What has he entrusted you with? Not all will have the same talents. Not all will have the same number of talents. Not all will have the same kind of talent. Paul talks about this in the gifts of the Spirit. They're all different. We have these diversity among the body of Christ. And the searching question is here, what have you received? What are those resources? What are those talents? What have you received from God 
that he wants you to put in, invest in his purposes. What are your responsibilities? How do you trade with them so they bring a return? How do you do that? First of all, practical, working and laboring with what I have. Not being lazy, not being, but working hard. Be gainfully employed in the work of the kingdom of God. God expects us to work hard. He created us to do just that. He created us to be productive and profitable in the things that count for eternity. Giving and serving. I like this one. Trial and error. For the sake of God's kingdom. Ask and listen for the sake of God's kingdom. What are you going to risk? What venture of faith will you take and say, hey, if the Lord's in it, if not, well, that's okay. We have a little part of our values here. We're not afraid to fail. Now, I will say we're not afraid to fail. Easier said, I don't like to fail. But oh, if we never risk, if we never step out, if we never understand what that means, we'll never learn the lessons that go way deeper than success. It may mean that, that we'll not see immediate success. Are we willing to open ourselves to things that seem beyond us? What are we putting on the line for the kingdom of God? Now the worship team come out. God knows that our risks for the kingdom of God will come up short many times. But he hasn't gone anywhere. He's not done. I suggest that much of what we risk is that which God would have us trade away. For example, are our fears risked in trading them for faith in God? Are pride risked in trading it for humility before him? Our weakness is risked to see his mighty power working through our lives. Our immaturity risked to see God's work of maturity in my life. My carnality risked trading it in for a deep spirituality that comes only through trial and error and risk putting our talents, what God's given us, on the line for the kingdom of God. As we take communion, I think that's what the Holy Spirit would have us to think about. How am I living my life as a steward of the things that God has given to me? And that stewardship has the gamut from relationships to material things, to relational responsibilities, you name it. And you, my friend, as a servant of the master, me as a servant of the master, we're waiting for him to return, but in the meantime, we're going to do business with God.
we're going to take to heart the things that we're saying. So those who are ready, those whose faith, whose faith is their own. Maybe this morning you're here and you have never asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. This communion service that we do is for the believer because what we're doing is we're acknowledging the fact that we need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us from all sin. We're acknowledging that he is the only Savior. So if you take that without acknowledging that, you're actually drinking judgment. Paul said that to yourself. You're taking what you have not yet received, salvation. So if that's you, our prayer as believers, even right now, that you'll come even now to know Jesus Christ. You have a real relationship with him. So as we take the communion, and Jesus said, occupy till I come. Let's take these things to the Lord this morning. So those who are ready, whose faith is their own, who are faithful with what they have received from the Lord. The final one, and we're not going to go into it tonight, uh, this morning. But the final one, and you can take this home and think about it. Because I've been thinking a lot about it. It's a tough one. But those who are not ready are those whose fate is their own doing. The sheep and goats who could have been showing mercy, could have been loving, caring, but refused. So those who are not ready are those whose fate is their own doing. Even that can change in a moment. So if hand out those emblems. And while you just take those, and I'll lead us in taking them together once we have all received them.